0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning on Good Friday. If you're visiting with us today, a special welcome to you. We're delighted that you've joined us, and we pray that you'll be encouraged, uh, together with all of us, on the significance of what we're focusing on today. My name's Tony, and I'm one of the pastors, and I have the privilege of helping us focus a little bit more from God's Word on the significance of today. And I want to begin by telling you a little story of... uh, uh, a very younger version of me. I was 17 at the time, quite a long time ago. And uh, around this time, I, one of my mates took up kind of uh, the idea of doing homemade tattoos. And of course, uh, given that I was one of his best mates and I hung around with him uh, a lot, he asked me if I wanted one. And, of course, I said, yeah, of course, man. I'm, I was nowhere near being a Christian at this point. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll have a tattoo. And then he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? I was like, oh, good question. I have got a clue. Um, what shall I get done? Um, I know this is a shock to you, thinking that your pastor had tattoos or whatever. But um, I actually ended up saying, well, um, I don't know, do a cross. How about you do a cross for me? Um, so he did. Um, It didn't really mean much to me, however, but I just happened to think, well, it was a pretty cool symbol and I'll get a cross. I don't know of anything else, um, so I'll get one of those. I never really thought about what the cross means. I'd never taken a close look at what it pointed to, the significance of it. Um, Good Friday, which is, of course, the cross is central to, um, for me, that was just the beginning of a nice long weekend. Never really thought about it. Perhaps lots of people don't, but this morning we have the opportunity to do just that. We have the opportunity to take a closer look at it, to perhaps see a bit more clearly the significance of it, to just stop for a little while before we head into whatever we've got organised for today and think about it. Is the cross just a nice symbol or is something bigger happening there? And we're going to do it this morning from a slightly different vantage point. We're going to look at it from what we know as the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see some kind of interesting and unusual turmoil in the very person of Jesus and also in what he prays for. So let's read it together uh, with, uh, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to dive in and have a look for a little while at this event that Matthew records. Matthew twenty-seven, uh, sorry, 26, verse 36. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible with you or an app on your phone, please feel free to turn up to it as well. Verse 36 of Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's just pray before we look at that together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to stop, to pause, to slow down, and to think for a little while of the significance of this day and all that it points to. Please help us by your spirit as we look at your word together, to see with eyes that we might not otherwise have, to hear with ears that we might not otherwise have, and to respond with hearts that we might not otherwise have. We ask this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, what's clear from this story in Gethsemane, uh, recorded by Matthew, is the seriousness of what Jesus is about to face. It's interesting, Jesus has spoken actually of his impending betrayal and death by crucifixion many times. Uh, If you've read or if you've been tracking through Matthew with us, you'll know that. You'll know that he spoke about it happening, he foretold it happening and even some of the specific details around it, that he would be crucified, that he would be flogged, that he would raise on the third day and so on. Uh, Just a few uh, chapters earlier in Matthew 20, he said this, speaking uh, of himself, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, there it is, to give his life as a ransom for many. He spoke about his death often. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, it seems that something has changed now in how it's affecting him, this reality of his impending death. Matthew records for us that Jesus began to be sorrowful in verse 37. Taking Peter with him and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh, Jesus then fleshes that out in more detail in verse 38 when he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. So something, as we read that, is clearly weighing on Jesus in a way that it hasn't previously or up until this point. And so the obvious question is this, what's changed? What is it that's weighing on him so heavily? Uh, Each of the Gospel writers record this event, and some with more detail than others. Luke uh, speaks of it, when he speaks of it, he speaks of, Uh, The fact that an angel from heaven appeared, strengthening him while he was in the garden. Interesting, isn't it? So such was what Jesus was facing and experiencing that help came from heaven to assist him at this point in time in what he was facing. And Luke also goes on to record that such was the weight of... Upon him that his sweat became like drops of blood. It's a very rare physiologic, physiological condition that someone can experience if they are under serious duress for a significant period of time. That their actually their sweat can become, to, uh, at some points, uh, blood. And this was happening for Jesus. What's changed? What was so intense? That was having such an effect on Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God. Well, what Jesus prays in verse 39 actually gives us a window into what it was that was so burdening him. Have a look with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus speaks of a cup that he's clearly facing and he's asking God the Father as God the Son that there might be another way. Now, though at first we might not fully grasp what the cup is and what it means, I think it's clear that Jesus is in no doubt himself about what this cup is and what it means for him. The cup in the Bible is often used to speak of something you might experience, but it's particularly used to describe the experience of God's judgment or wrath. God's righteous anger against sin and experiencing that cup. I Have a listen to Isaiah 51. Uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, says this about Jerusalem at the time. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. See it there? The cup is about God's just and righteous judgment against sin. against sin, And so what we begin to get a glimpse of is what is having such an impact on Jesus. He's under no illusions about what he's about to face on our behalf. He is about to bear the full brunt of God's just and righteous judgment against sin. And he would do that not just for the sins of the whole world, not just for one person's sin, but for your sin and mine. And so what's going on here is that the gravity of the cross is coming to bear on Jesus himself. This is why he's exceedingly sorrowful. Even to death. This is why he's in such internal turmoil because he senses what's coming. And that's precisely what we saw and what we heard read a little earlier, wasn't it, in Matthew 27. 45 to 46, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus is on the cross at this point, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's said in those few verses is just incredible. This is, this is, we don't understand the Jewish clock, but this, this is basically from midday until three in the afternoon. From midday, there was darkness over the whole land. Such is what's going on here that even the creation itself is being affected as Jesus is bearing the sins of the whole world on this cross. For three hours, from 12 till 3, and at the ninth hour, that's 3pm, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, expressing the experience of being forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, friends, death by crucifixion, as horrible as it was, and it was horrible, was actually very commonplace at the time. There was nothing particularly unique about it. And many would experience it. If you kind of uh, you know, stood up against Rome, that's where you'd up. On a cross, on the side of the road, like a billboard saying, don't mess with the authorities. But Jesus' death, Jesus' crucifixion is totally unique because of what he was doing there for us. He was drinking this cup that was most daunting to him. That would be most excruciating for him. The cup of God's just and righteous judgment for sin. Not for his sin, but for ours. And so, what we see in the garden in Jesus is, is Jesus in his humanity wrestling with what it's going to mean for him to face this, with the gravity of it, with the enormity of what he will endure for others. But what we're seeing, and so what we're seeing with increasing clarity is this, the gravity of the cross, the gravity of the cross, the weight of it for you and for me. I'm sure many of you have seen this picture before um, of the lighthouse. In fact, someone gave me this picture once after after a Sunday's sermon, where I use this as an illustration. So I've only got a certain amount of illustrations, so I I'll just keep bringing out the same ones again. But um, here's this Jean Bouchard's lighthouse. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. Um, it's quite an astonishing picture. You've got uh, obviously you've got this massive wave about about to engulf the base, at least probably a fair way up of the lighthouse. But the thing that intrigues everybody is the is the guy standing here in the doorway. Uh, of the lighthouse, and I don't, I've never researched it enough to know what happened after this, but I'm pretty sure uh, he would have, at, at a significant point, uh, probably the most important point, ducked back inside the door, right? That's how he's going to avoid being engulfed by this wave that's about to engulf the whole lighthouse. Friends, not so with Jesus, though he wrestles with what is about to engulf him. He chooses, strengthened by angelic beings, though he's sweating great drops of blood, he chooses to avoid, not to avoid, sorry, the wave of God's wrath coming at the cross for your sake and mine. I wonder, do you realise this morning as you sit here what Jesus was prepared to endure for you and for me today. I wonder if that's landed for you, what he was prepared to endure for you and for me. Do you see as you look at what happened here in Gethsemane, And on the cross, do you see what he died to save you from? Because, friends, he did this as a substitute. He did this in our place. He experienced the just and righteous judgment of God for us, so it needn't be experienced by us. He was forsaken by God for us so that we might be embraced by him. Though we are the sinful ones and he is the righteous one. This of course is why we call Good Friday, Good Friday. Because it's such good news for us. And as we see it, as we see the gravity of what was happening there, we see something else more clearly at the same time. We see the depth of God's love. Come with me again to verse 39 and verse 42. Verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Friends, notice that though Jesus is facing the gravity of the cross and seeking another way, if possible, what we also see is that he's resolved to embrace it if that's what it takes if that's what it takes to save people from their sins, if that's what it takes to carry out God's gracious will towards us as sinners, nevertheless, your will be done. And as we look at that, we see clearly the love of God as the Father and the Son together display it for us. Remember, God is Trinity, One God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so if you like, there's this this moment of wrestle going on within God himself as Jesus faces the cross, the gravity of what's coming and the thing that resolves it, God's gracious will towards us. Nevertheless, your will be done. Your plan take prominence. The gracious will of God towards us, which reveals his great love for us. And so what we can see now is that Jesus goes on to the cross undeterred, doesn't he? Have a look at verse 45. And he came came to his disciples after the third time and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus goes to the cross undeterred. He says the hour is at hand, which is a way of him uh, speaking about the hour of his suffering. In other words, the planned, predetermined Gracious will of God has come and it's now. The hour is at hand. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now we go to the cross. Though he wrestled with it, though he struggled with what he was going to face, as the gracious will of God unfolds and the love of God is on display, see, the hour is at hand. All because of the deep love of God for us. I wonder, do you see it today? I hope you can. I pray you can see the depth of God's love for you this morning. It's the only explanation, friends, that makes sense of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. Only the depth of the love of God makes sense of Jesus willingly Laying down his life for us. He didn't have to do it. In John 10 he says this, No one takes it from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. He didn't have to do it, but he willingly laid down his life, fully aware of what was coming his way on that cross. No wonder John says later in his letter, uh, later on in the New Testament, when he was much older than when he wrote his gospel, in this is love, not that we love God, But that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. Big word. Just means a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. In this is love. Not that we love God. Let's be honest. We didn't. But that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And for many of you here this morning... The depth of that love has dawned on you and it's won you over. And now you do love him. Maybe today might be a day when it does win you over for the first time and you start to have this kind of rising sense in your heart that this God is awesome, this Jesus is amazing and he loves me and he died for me and I want to, I want to love him in response, in return. He's so worthy of it. I can't believe that he did that for me. Maybe today could be that day for you when that starts. How awesome would that be? How wonderful would that be? That today, the depth of the love of God lands for you and you start to well up with love for him in response. How do you know if someone loves you? By what they say. Or by what they do? Well, probably both. But not just by what they say. Here we've seen what God has done. And Paul echoes this thought in Romans 5. I haven't got it on there. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God said he loved us. No, he didn't. God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, not once we got our act together, not, so, not once we became more moral. No, while we were sinners, what did God do? Christ died for us. Do you see it? More importantly, do you sense it? So, I want to ask you this morning as we've taken just a few minutes to focus in on the cross and what was happening there. How little did I know when I was 17 and said, I'll do a cross. How might you respond to Jesus this Good Friday? How might I respond? There are lots of ways you can, but I want to suggest one for us, me included, and it involves three words. Sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, Lord, sorry for my sins that have been ultimately against you. And sorry for what it cost you to pay for those sins. The gravity of what you went through to make atonement for me. But at the same time, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the depth of your love towards me. That you would do that for me. Thank you. I often think to myself if Jesus walked into the room, what would I want to say to him? Probably just that. Thank you. And then please. Please help me to love you from the heart in response to what you've done for me and to live my life to honor you. Can I lead us in prayer? Let's pray. I'm going to pray this prayer now actually. Sorry, please, thank you. And if you're here and you've never done that and you want to start your a relationship with God through what Jesus has done for you, then Maybe you can pray along with me, something along those lines, maybe for the first time. For the rest of us who have done it before, let's just do it again. It's never, it's never too old, it's never, it's never worn out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and thank you that we've had this opportunity this morning to do so. And Thank you that we've been able to look at your word just briefly and see what you went through for us. Lord, we are sorry for our sins, for living our lives our own way, for running our lives ourselves in opposition to you often, resisting you, rejecting you. Father, we're sorry for that. We want to say thank you too for sending your Son into the world in your great love for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for the depth of your love towards us, that you would do that for us, though we have not loved you. So, Lord, as these things dawn on us, please would you help us to love you more and more each day. From the center of our beings, from our hearts, as we respond to what you have done in your Son on that cross. May we honor you for it. You are so worthy of it. And we ask this in His name, in Jesus' name, the one who was forsaken for us, that we might be embraced. Amen.